this one into the night. Jimmy Rollins is going to turn for three. Here he comes. In the air, down the right field line. Way back there. On an RBI hit by Mitchie Poole. Here's the throw to the plate. It's in the air. He is. Oh! The 0-2 pitch. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Phillies Nation podcast. I am your host, Ty Daubert, for coming at you with another episode after what is another, what has been another really eventful, hectic weekend in Phillies baseball. They seem to all kind of be like that anymore, just a lot, a lot going on with the Phillies. Um, you know, after the Diamondback series, it was a lot of doom and gloom. They go and take two out of three from the Padres. It wasn't exactly the prettiest fashion, but still a series win. So we're going to get into it. I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Ackerman. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm good. I just had my first in-person class in about a year and five months. So that was exciting. Uh, We got a great guest on the pod today. Uh, It should be fun. Yeah, like Nathan said, we have a very special guest on the show today, Pat McCarthy. You should know him after this weekend. He called the game. Both games, Saturday, Sunday, on NBC Sports Philadelphia for the Philly series. He's the voice of the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. He does some basketball as well and just a really great play-by-play voice. And we're very glad to have him on. Pat, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a crazy 48 hours, that's for sure. But it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. That's, that, that is for sure. <laughs> But let's get the the big stuff out of the way. Just what's it? What was it like this weekend for you to to get the call? Obviously, your father Tom is the one who who is usually holding down that role. You get to step in uh, and and call you know the games of a team that obviously has been a big part of your life for for a while now. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it it's hard to put into words, and I think today has been that day that I finally had a chance to kind of step away from everything and you know, flip my phone over and just kind of take a step back and spend some time with family. And, you know, it helps that the fills are off today. The pigs are off today. So my dad and I have had a chance to kind of sit back and reflect on things and not even, not even talk about the games. We really haven't talked about the games much. Um, But we've just had an opportunity for the two of us to just hang out and kind of take it all in, which has been really cool. And the Phillies, as you said, have been such a big part of my life for, since I was six years old when he first started with them in 2021 or 2001. And now here we are 20 years later. Uh, it, it was such a full circle moment. And having worked in the Phillies organization now in the minor league affiliates for the past five years, it's cool getting a chance to call games at the major league level with a lot of guys that I saw when they were coming up guys that I've called games for, for the pigs this season. And man, we got two really, really fun games. I know Saturday was, was a heartbreaker. <laughs> I was, I was, I woke up on Sunday and I'm like, how am I going to set the seed for this one? Because the only thing I keep thinking about is just the word roller coaster of emotions, not just for me in terms of what I was doing calling these games, but also just in the game itself. And I was trying to think to how I would be as a Phillies fan because so many times that's what I am. I'm just a Phillies fan sitting back watching the games. And I was going through those similar emotions while calling the game, the highs of, the O'Double leadoff home run to, uh, I mean, the incredible peak of Nola being perfect through six innings to then just the deflation of the Cronenworth home run to uh, ultimately the walk-off wild pitch. But 
Yeah, overall, it was just incredible. It was just incredible. No, le- leading up to this weekend, can you take can you take us through when you find out that you're going to have this opportunity? Like, what's that that first feeling like? I, I think a lot of people know that the ultimate goal of all these minor league players that come through the system is to make it to the big leagues. And, you know, you can, you hear some stories about what it's like when they finally get that call, but what's it like for a broadcaster to, to find out that they're going to be sent to the big leagues for, for a series? Yeah. So I was in ocean city. Uh, I was uh, Friday afternoon. So last Friday and uh, Sean Alexiak from NBC sports, Philadelphia gave me a call and just said, Hey, listen, you know, I know you're, I know you're well aware that your dad's going to be missing, you know, a couple of games, you know, over the next two weekends. And, you know, how would you be interested in, in calling the games in two weeks when the team's in San Diego? It, it was, yeah, I, I just hugged my fiance who was standing next to me. And, you know, for the two of us, it's, you know, she's been with me since I started as an intern back in Reading in 2017. So for the two of us together, it was just, it was a really cool moment. And uh, then I got to share it with, you know, my family that we were all down at the beach together. And, but at the same time, there was a pigs game to call later that night. So I kind of had to shift my focus to the pigs that were up at Scranton for that, for that game. So, yeah, I mean, it was a week of just kind of at that point, preparing myself mentally um, and trying to balance preparation for this new series coming up against Rochester for the iron pigs. Cause I'm still going to be calling a you know, a number of games for the pigs while this was leading up. And at the same time, preparing myself for the Padres series. So it worked out that the iron pigs got a, uh, had a rain out really early on Wednesday. So I had an opportunity to drive down to the, to the studio Wednesday night when the team was playing Arizona and I was able to just kind of sit back and just take everything in that day and head back down into the production area. So I could kind of get a see of how they handle things. And then on Friday, I'd already, you know, worked it out that I was going to be taken off just so I could go down the night before and, and get a lay of the land and, and at that point, I just sat back and I was like, okay, there's a lot of technical things that are going to go into this, but come 840, it's calling a baseball game like I've done 400 times. And I just had to get myself into that, that preparation, but that's not easy just for the magnitude of the people that are going to be listening, the profile of the game. It was obviously a huge series for the number of storylines from Musgrove versus Nola to whether Reese Hoskins was going to come back uh, was – well, Nola versus Nola was incredible. So there were so many different things that I was running through my head. And uh, and then we knocked out the open and I was like, okay, that's the hardest part. That's the part that I'm not used to. And at this point, we can just sit back and call a baseball game. But <laughs> I was sitting down. It was right after the open and I hadn't eaten dinner yet because we had an 840 starts. We recorded the open right around 720 or something like that. So it was like 730. And I, was, I sat down to eat a hoagie and I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't even eat right now. <laughs> like my stomach just felt like it was steel. Uh, so I didn't eat dinner that night. And then, uh, and then you know what? Honestly, the greatest thing that happened was Oduble hitting the leadoff home run. It was the best thing that could have happened for me because I'm like at that point, that was like a straight. It was such a jolt of energy from that point to just to get it out of the way, and then at that point, just be like, okay, let's just go call a game. And it was it was it was a lot of fun. You know, I, I think I speak on behalf of pretty much everyone watching when I say that if there were any first game nerves there, it, it didn't come through. So uh, great job with that, of course. But I, you. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure this was a moment you've been envisioning for quite some time now, maybe several years. But I don't know if you necessarily foresaw your first MLB broadcast being done remotely. So what was what was that like and what was that 
you know, what was that experience calling your first ML, MLB game, but not actually being there? Yeah, Nathan, it was interesting. So, you know, it's like you've said, I've always imagined, it's like a player. You always imagine being at the big league stage. And I didn't know when that was going to come. I, I wasn't anticipating it. I wasn't expecting it to be this year. Um, we didn't have any dialogue about it. It wasn't something that was predetermined or anything like that. It was just something that happened organically. And I didn't know if it was going to be with the Phillies. I knew it was going to happen eventually. Just I hoped, I guess I didn't know. I was just like anything. You hope that you get an opportunity. And then the opportunity came. And to be honest, the remote thing didn't scare me because I've been doing it all year and I've been doing it off of a iPad pro, which is, you know, a, 12 inch screen. So on an MILB.TV feed where I have my phone and I play ambient crowd noise off my phone. And I hope that I time it up correctly that every 29 minutes, I don't forget to reset the track and all of a sudden it just goes silent. So the remote broadcast didn't, didn't scare me because I, I knew it was going to be better than what I've already done. And, and the technology is so great that we have one massive screen, which is the same screen that you're watching at home. We're calling the game off the exact same feed that you guys are watching. So when the camera switches, it's switching for us at the same time. That's when we know what's happening. And then there's a couple of other, like two bullpen shots and, and an all nine, which is huge, but you can really only use it for base runners and to see where guys are going. Other than that, it really doesn't serve you a huge purpose because it's so wide and it's so tall. And then the other one's just a line score. So you're looking to see... Maybe they've got a sat on there from the scoreboard that you're not recognized, that you don't see or they don't have in the truck. But yeah, the remote broadcast, it wasn't, would I have rather been in San Diego? Yeah, absolutely. Of course. I think any broadcaster that tells you that uh, will tell you that when they're right now, they'd rather be on the road. I mean, it's, it's not even close. <laughs> There's no difference. There's no comparison between being on the road and being in the studio, but overall it was an awesome experience and you know, some of the greatest compliments I've gotten from people is you never would have known that you weren't in San Diego. And that's huge. And that's what we're going for until the time comes that we can get back on the road, whether that's at the major league or the minor league level, we're doing the best we can to make sure that people are still getting the full experience. What was it like to work with Ruben Amaro Jr.? You know, I, I can imagine that working with, uh, working with a partner that you've never really worked with before, I, I would assume you've met Ruben before you've, you've spoken with him, but just being able to kind of you know, get chemistry on the fly and, and have it really work during a broadcast that you, you don't have, you don't have experience with that person before. Yeah. So I, I've met Ruben a couple of times just in passing down in spring training and stuff like that. When uh, 2020, when he was first starting up with the broadcast team, uh, when I was calling, I called a couple of spring training games in 2020. So I had an opportunity to I was working with Kevin Franzen at that point, but at the same time, Ruben was still down there. So we had an opportunity to chat and then we were on the same flight home. Uh, but other than that, we hadn't really interacted that much together or truly formally met outside of a couple of conversations here or there. Uh, so I met him on Friday for the first time to really get a chance to sit down and, and listen to his cadence and listen to his tempo and stuff like that. Cause that's huge. Uh, like that chemistry completely comes from listening to each other and making sure that we're on the same page uh, of when he's going to speak, when I'm going to speak, things like that. So that way we're not stepping on each other's toes constantly. Because that can be the hardest part of working with a new partner is just not knowing when they're finished with a thought or when they're going to speak or things like that. So 
that was huge. Uh, and in terms of working with him, it was fantastic. It's such a rare experience that you get to work with somebody who has the perspective of a player, of a general manager, and then ultimately a coach. That's huge. He can answer any single question that you would need to throw at him from the perspective of who it's about, whether that's about a player, whether that's about a general manager, or whether that's about a coach. And that's huge. And that was a lot of fun. It allowed us to have a lot of really cool dialogue. We had a great conversation yesterday about Miguel Diaz, who was a Rule 5 pick. And we had a great conversation just about the Rule 5 draft and what goes into it. What's the process behind it? So things like that were awesome. He's so knowledgeable. And it was a, it was a really cool experience. What was the fan reception like? I mean, everything I saw was overwhelmingly positive or pretty much, ex well, exclusively positive. But what was it like to sort of get that outpouring of, you know, positive feedback to both during both the games and then after the weekend was already over? Incredibly humbling. It's the only way to, to describe it. Uh, I don't, I haven't really been able to sit back and just appreciate all everything that people said because it was so overwhelmingly positive. And, you know, Philly can be a, is a really passionate fan base. I'm, I'm part of it. I'm a big Phillies fan. I'm a huge Eagles fan. I'm a Sixers fan. So I get it. And people care about their sports and that's what's, what's what makes this city so amazing. So to have them come out in rows on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and everything and, emails, text messages from people. It, it was incredible. And the positive response was more than I ever could have imagined because I didn't know how people were going to react. I didn't. I, you just never know. You don't know how you're going to do it. It's your first game. How are people going to perceive you? Are they going to like your style? So it, it, was, it was so overwhelmingly positive and it was so incredible. And I'm so thankful for it because People made my experience by their reaction so much more enjoyable because I could just be myself. And that's what it was. I was just myself. And, and that was, and that was, I was able to do that because of the response that people were giving me. And it was great. And I, I couldn't have asked for a better reception from people. And I'm, I'm so incredibly thankful for all the people that reached out. Moving into, you know, the specific games that you called, you mentioned, that Odubel Herrera hitting a leadoff homer really kind of helped you ease into it and maybe allow you to be yourself a little more and instead of having to, to worry about other stuff. But going into that first game on Saturday, Odubel hits the home run, and then you mentioned it, Aaron Nola, perfect through six innings. At what point did it kind of – did it hit you that is my first game going to be a no-hitter, perfect game <laughs> – but what was it like to be able to call that really brilliant performance from Nola for a while? And then obviously it, it didn't end up being that way. You mentioned it a little bit. Just can you kind of take yeah. me through the emotions of, of that game? Because it was certainly a wild one. Yeah. So, uh, so I was a pitcher in college, so I'm a huge pitching nut. So all of my buddies and my brother, we have a big group chat with each other. All of my housemates from college that all, I all play baseball with. We're, it was like the third inning or so. And I had my phone on silent the entire time, but I ran to the bathroom real quick and I'm just flipping through it real quick. And they're like, Oh man, Pat must be freaking out right now. One nothing game. Like this is his, this is his dream pitching situation where Musgrove and Nola are both throwing a ton of strikes. 
And my one buddy texted me, goes, can you imagine if this actually happens? And I'm thinking, I'm like, what is he talking about? And then like, and I knew at that point that Nola was cruising and, and I knew he had been nine up, nine down. Cause I think I'd said it and I'm just like, but I don't think I comprehended really at the time. I'm like, I'm like oh man, this is going to be really crazy. And I just tried to keep my composure the entire time. And then as we got into the fifth and then again, again into the sixth, my heart started to race a little bit. And I said to myself, just watch Aaron. One of the things that I have written down on my scorecard uh, all the time is see my words, which just means see, say what I'm seeing, basically. Just see my words. See what I'm, say what I'm seeing. And, and that's what I told myself. I said, whatever Aaron does, you're just going to follow because that's your job. Your job is just to tell the story of what Aaron Nola is doing. So I, I just kept calling the game at that point. And by the time the sixth inning came, I was like, okay, a couple of things we got we to gotta get down. Got to get the date of Doc's perfect game, which is actually my dad's scorecard right over my shoulder, which is, which is pretty cool. And, I, and that was what was in my head. I'm like picturing, I'm picturing my dad in, in 2010 down in Miami calling Halliday's perfect game. And I'm thinking, all right. Just he always said he just he knew he what he needed. He needed to know how many no, perfect games there have been in Philly's history. He needed to know when the last perfect game was. He need and just in, in Major League Baseball history, and he needed to know what number perfect game was in Major League Baseball history. So that's what was going through my head. I was thinking about his scorecard, and I was thinking about what he was thinking about, and those were the three things that came to my mind: number of perfect games in Philly's history, number of perfect games in Major League Baseball history. And the last perfect game. So that was really what was going through my head at that point. And then at that, but also I was just thinking, but don't let that get in the way of calling the game. Because if you try and be perfect, you're not going to be. Because you're going to try too hard. And you're going to overdo it. So just call the game. And let it fall where I may. Because I can't control it. And I can only control what I can control, which is just calling the game. So that was my mindset. Obviously, didn't quite work out that way through nine innings. At, at least, it, things went well south for the Phillies in the ninth. Um, you know, one out away from the win, and you know, Jake Cronenworth hits that two-run homer. What, what's it? And then, you know, the rest of the game was um, less than ideal for the Phillies. What was it like to call that? What was it like to call a heartbreaker? And you know, I, I'm I'm sure you've done that before, but your first MLB game being the ending the way that that one did. What was what was that like? What was what was going through your head when you're calling that? Yeah, so I've called a couple of heartbreakers, obviously, for the Iron Pigs, and whether that's in college basketball or football, whatever it may be. Uh, and they're never easy. But at the same time, you still have to capture the energy. You still have to capture the emotion. And, you know, so it was crazy because it was one pitch went from such a high down to such a low in terms of the energy of the game. Because at that point, until that Tatis walk in the ninth, you could hear it at Petco. They were not like energized. Like they knew that Nola was dominating because that's what he was doing. He was dominating. He'd allowed one hit up in that until that point. It was the Machado single. So Tatis walks and then you're starting to build. You're like, all right, tying runs up. Tying runs up now. Like, it's a big pitch. There's two outs. And Jankowski goes back. And at that point, you're just trying to build because this ball is either caught or it's a home run, but don't jump the gun because if you call it as a home run and he makes the catch, 
it's TV. Everybody's going to know. Or if you call it as a catch and it ends up being a home run, that's even worse. So I'm just like, I was telling myself, I'm like, don't anticipate anything at this point. You know, just call it, call it. And then, and you can hear it in my voice too. It's the rise of, did he catch it? No. And it's like, and, and then, and then you have to build it back up to the, the importance of the play. So it, it was, it was a roller coaster. It was up and down. It was, it was an incredible first game. It would have been a lot, a lot cooler if Aaron had, you know, either thrown a shutout or, you know, had come through with the perfect game, but he battled, man. That was the best I'd ever seen him throw. So it was really cool to be a part of. And I know Aaron was disappointed, but uh, at the same time, he battled, he battled the entire way. And Joe said it after the game, he goes, he made one bad pitch in a, in eight and two thirds. Like, what can you do? There's nothing you can do at that point. So, man, Jankowski, if he, he, we showed an angle of it on, on Sunday of how close he was. And it would have been incredible. It would have been incredible. That moment, that home run by Cronenworth, to, and then even the walk-off. Do you call it a little differently that you were working for the Phillies broadcast than, say, if you were asked to do a game for a national broadcast where – you know, you're not coming from the the Phillies perspective. You're more impartial, I guess you could say. Do you, would you call that a little differently? I know, I know your dad back a while ago. He called some games for Fox. I think when when Matt Cain and Cole Hamels both homered off yep. each other, he was calling that on, on Fox. Like, do you? So I don't I don't know if you've ever spoken to him about that. What it, you know, the differences there. Would you call that any differently? Or um, yeah, you know, probably. I I don't know. Maybe. It's hard to say, honestly, like, because you have to be in the moment, I guess. The easy answer is yes, you would, because you are neutral and you have to be neutral. And there's obvious, what do you, you're a fan of the team that you work for. It, it's true. You see them every, I mean, I grew up a Phillies fan, so I'm obviously a fan. I want them to do well. You watch these guys every single day and you become fans of the people too you become fans of the players that you you want them to succeed because of the people that they are and so you know if i was calling it for a network probably i might you you definitely show some guys are different you know i just finished joe buck's autobiography and he a lot of times gets criticized because he doesn't show a lot of emotion and that's just his style he knows that he admits it in his book that that's his style that a lot of times he never wants to be bigger than the play. Whereas a guy like Matt Baskersian is, he is bursting with energy all the time, every single play. You know, when, when Baskersian yells Santa Maria, you know, it was a, it was a huge play. So everybody styles differently. I am a very high energy broadcaster. It's just my personality. It's how I call a game. It's how I approach life. So I would probably be, very high energy no matter what and but when you're when you're calling a game for for a team you at the same time you have to represent how that team is feeling at the time and i think that when there's a heartbreaking loss like that we feel it too and i think that's important you got on sunday perhaps a less thrilling game but definitely a better outcome for the Phillies um yeah I I must confess I didn't hear you on the call for that game because I was I was there I was I was thinking about driving down for Saturday's game I ended up going Sunday I think I picked the right one but what what was it like calling your first win there and even if the game you know wasn't quite as drama packed or 
you know, emotional, I guess. What was it like calling the first win? And then coming off Saturday's win, I think a lot of people, I think, I think fans of, of, of this team tend to, they are passionate. Like you said, I think they tend to sort of live and die with each game. And I think after, after that game, they were like, this is a new low. It, it doesn't really get much worse than this. And there, there might've been some checking out taking place. Um, so how do you sort of bounce back from that and set the scene and keep people excited for, for, for Sunday's game. And then once they got that, that win, they took two out of three, what was that like? Yeah. So that's, what's great about baseball is less than 12 hours later, we were ready to go again. So Sunday was a lot of fun just because of the firepower. Obviously, there was a great storyline with Reese coming back. Uh, it was an opportunity to win the series because, listen, nobody wanted to finish that road trip two and four, but it's a lot better to be two and four coming home than one and five. That's for sure, losing both series. So, you know, I think that was that was important, and I think it was important for us to bring that type of energy and ex- express that type of importance. Uh, and then Reese coming back was huge because. I think a lot of people knew that they were treading water right now until some of these guys come back until Reese comes back. And he is now once Freddie comes back and Coonrod comes back and Eflin comes back. So I think it was kind of affirmation for everybody that, okay, Reese is back. Now the offense can start coming back. Cause we kept saying, and not just in the broadcast, but I was saying it to people too, just when I'd have conversations that Reese provides so much protection for the rest of the lineup that once you got him back, everybody else was going to start seeing better pitching because you have to, because you got Hoskins behind him. And that's what he showed. And then O'Double's red hot right now, four games. He's homered in back-to-back. JT had a double in game one, then homered in game two. So maybe that off day was big for him or game three, I should say. So that was an important storyline. And I think the fact that it was a, you know, it was a seven, four win. It was seven, one for most of the game until Austin Nola's RBI double. So, it's our job to come back the next day and bring the same type of energy and still tell the story that this and this is it's the Braves are red hot right now. Right. I mean, they're, they just completely dismantled an Orioles team that has lost 18 in a row, which is incredible. But so the Phillies can't afford to lose games that the Braves win. You couldn't come back from this road trip, six games down. It just, it, you could have, obviously, and you'd still have a chance. We saw it in 2007 that you still have a chance, but you're now just trying to stay where you are so that way you can head into this week, which, I mean, let's be honest, you've got the Rays for two games, uh, <laughs> and then you've you've got to take care of business this week. You have to before you know you, you head to the next road trip. So I think it was a big win. I think people recognized that, hopefully, and I, and I hope we told that story. You know, you, you mentioned before that, you started in the Phillies organization a few years ago with Reading. I think you said 2017 it would have been. How do you think that you've kind of grown as a broadcaster since then coming up through the Philly system a little bit that better prepared you for, for this moment this past weekend and, and how you've changed and just uh, with more experience? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple of things. Uh, there's a big difference of sounding when you're 26 compared to when you're 22. Uh, that's a big difference. Just and and the other thing is, when I started interning in Reading, I was the number three, so I was more of a media relations intern than anything. I was doing the pitch clock, I was cooking hot dogs, I was writing down the lineups every single day, I was restocking the fridge, I was refilling the water jug, I was doing all these different things that didn't really involve broadcasting games. My workday started at ten o'clock in the morning. 
And then I didn't call a game until seven o'clock. And I was lucky to get 35 to 40 minutes in between to do my book because there were just so many things to do. And Reading is just so high energy all the time that there's, when you're an intern there, there's just a ton to do. So at that time, Mike Ventola was the number one, Greg Caserta was the number two, and I was the number three. And those guys were just so great to me that, you know, they started off, started me off with one inning a game, which I never called baseball before. I played baseball until my junior year of college. Then I got hurt. So I gave it up my senior year and I was commuting back and forth from the college in New Jersey to Reading every single night, which was about an hour and 45 minutes there and back to finish up class and then drive out to Reading for these games. So it was, it was a crazy summer that, you know, it taught me responsibility. <laughs> it taught me the budget because I was paying for an apartment. I was doing all these different things while, uh, you know, trying to cut my teeth in the minors before getting myself ready. So that summer in Reading was huge. It, it helped me grow as a person because it was my first time li really living away from home. I went to Syracuse for a year as a freshman uh, before transferring to the College of New Jersey, which is 19 minutes from my house. So, you know, Reading was my first real time out in the world as an adult to grow. And then yeah, I got a chance to call games every single day. Got it. Mike sent me on the road once, which was huge because you know, I grew up in I grew up in a clubhouse, but there's certain ways that you interact with guys when you're on the road and there's certain ways that, you know, things work in minor league baseball. So it, it was a really great experience. And then 2018, John, John Schaefer, who was a full-time employee for the iron pigs decides to you know take a job out in San Diego. So that positions opens up and, you know, I talked to Matt province and Kurt Landis, who's our general manager about interning up there. Cause they always had a media relations intern. So you know, I took an internship up there. And after my conversation with Matt, he said, listen, he goes, if this is something that you would be open to and, and basically taking on two roles, like I'm all for it. He goes, you know, I, I like your tape. I think you have a lot of room to grow. And I think serving as my number two could be really beneficial for you. But he goes, but at the same time, you're going to be a full-time intern and you're going to be handling all of our media relations responsibilities when I'm not there. So I said, all right, let's do it. I said, that's basically what I've been doing already in my time in Reading. So I was doing stat packs and, and I was doing, you know, helping out with game notes and getting lineups and all these different things, coordinating interviews for guys. Whereas at the same time, then I would have to go and, and prepare to call a baseball game and get a few innings of play by play in while, while Matt, you know, would do color. And then Matt would serve as our primary play by play guy for six innings. And then I would do color for him. So you know, the time in, in, in Lehigh Valley was great for that reason when I first started as an intern, just because it allowed me to continue to grow and take on greater responsibilities. It helped my writing. And I think because I was writing game stories, I think that helped me as a broadcaster. So you know, there was all these like different things. And then we had a great studio host in Matt Sabatis, who's now the number two out in Erie, who took on a huge responsibility that really helped me out. And then 2019 came, Matt took a job out in San Diego and, you know, the opening for the lead guy came and I had never been a lead broadcaster before I'd served as a number two, I'd served as a number three, and then I'd served as a number two. So Mike Ventola then came in, took the media relations position that was, you know, kind of going to be served, be similar in a full-time capacity as my internship was that you would be the media relations person, but also serve as the number two broadcaster. And, you know, Mike, who has been a number one for a long time in this system, took the job. And Mike is one of my best friends in the entire world. And we had a great relationship. And, you know, I expressed to him the interest that I, I, I'm 
I know it's just a seasonal position, but I'm interested in being the number one. I'd like to be the number one. I think I'm ready for it. And he agreed. He goes, you're familiar with the system. You've been here before. So, you know, brought in a couple of other candidates to interview and stuff like that. Um, but I was fortunate enough to, to get the job. And that was my real first taste of being a full-time broadcaster. So I was able to dive into everything and prepare myself for each series. I was able to go on the road for the first time full-time, which was a huge, you know, it was a huge learning experience because I'm not used to being on the road all the time. I didn't travel a ton. I didn't travel at all in 2018. I'd go to Scranton every once in a while. I traveled a little bit in Reading, but not much. So 2019 was really my first real taste at the full-time broadcasting life. And then unfortunately the pandemic came in 2020 and we didn't get a chance to call games, but it ended up being great for me because I learned so much. I worked at a golf course uh, during the day in a, in a, in, in the pro shop. And I was able to call some basketball games once that started up again. And then I took a full-time job in a middle school as a teaching assistant to make some extra money. So I was working in a middle school from, you know, seven o'clock in the morning until three o'clock in the, in the afternoon. And that allowed me to grow as a person, taught me patience, taught me great communication skills. So everything that I've done up until this point has prepared me for this in some way, whether that's as a broadcaster, whether that's an educator, or whether that's a pro shop attendant at a local golf course. So it, it was, it was really cool. When you think about the fact that you were taking your father's place for the weekends. And I mean, you can apply this to, you know, your minor league career, what any games that you've ever broadcasted ever. I'm, I'm sure that adds an extra element of just it being, you know, cool. You were, you were taking your father's place to call these MLB games. I'm sure that makes it all the more special, but how, how do you sort of remind yourself that, you know, you don't have to be T-Mac. You can be P-Mac, right? You don't, you don't have to, you guys have your own different, different styles. You don't have to, you know, call a game in the exact same way that he would. And were you sort of nervous that you would be compared to him at all just by, by, by nature of the situation? So how, how did you sort of keep that, you know, I don't know, how did you keep that at, you know, the center of your mind that you can just be yourself? Yeah. So I think, I think when that headset came on, it just clicks and I just call a game the way I know how to call a game. And I have so much of my dad in me outside of having a way better head of hair. You know, I have, I have so much of him in me and I'm fine with that because he is my, he is my biggest role model and I've looked up to him my entire life. So the reason that I'm in this business is because of him. And the reason that I love to do what I do is because of what he's done. So listen, I knew there was going to be comparisons. I was ready for it, but at the same time, I wanted to be myself. And by being myself, I knew I was going to be different just because we do have different styles. You know, we have a lot of similarities, but at the same time, we're, we're different. You know, he has a much deeper voice than I do. He, you know, he's a lot more knowledgeable than I am just for the fact that he's been doing this for 20 years. So, you know, I knew there was going to be comparisons. Obviously I tried not to let it bother me. And when 840 came on Saturday, I just called the game the only way I knew how to. And that's what you heard. The last thing I have for you this experience this past weekend, getting to be able to to call the Phillies, call a major league broadcast. We mentioned now, now you go back to the Iron Pigs. What do you think you can take from this experience that you can carry with you and, and kind of, you know, keep on improving in your career? Just to keep doing what I'm doing, honestly, just to 
just keep working hard. Keep working hard. Keep preparing every single game like it's the World Series. And and that's how I approach things. Whether I'm doing Princeton football, whether I'm doing Princeton basketball, whether I'm doing St. Joe's men's basketball, St. Joe's women's basketball, a Phillies game or an Iron Peace game, it does not matter. I prepare the exact same way. I prepare because you never know who's listening. And it is my job to do the best that I can do. And if I'm doing any less, it's complete injustice to the people that pay me. And it's complete injustice to the people that are listening. And it's injustice to my family and to myself, because there's been a lot of sacrifices that have gone into this, that have got me into the position that I am. So if anything that, that I can take from this, it's just, just keep being myself, keep pushing forward and don't change a thing in terms of how I prepare and how I approach life. Because this doesn't change who I am. It was an incredible experience. I'm so thankful for it. I'm overwhelmed by it. It was, it's a testament to the hard work that my dad has put in that I was prepared for this situation because I'm prepared because I've watched him for the last 20 years and I've grown up in a broadcast booth and he has set such an incredible example for me that I knew I was ready for it. And I knew that there were people trusting me and that they had trust that I was ready for it. So that helped. But when it comes back to going back to an Iron Pigs game tomorrow, I'm going to show up at two o'clock for a seven o'clock game like I always do to make sure I'm fully prepared, get my lineups in. And then I'm going to put the headset on at 7.05 or 6.35 to do the pregame show. And I'm just going to call the game. And I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to love every single second of it. And I'm not going to take a single pitch for granted. Because if there's anything that we have learned over the last 18 months, it's that you can't take a single one of these moments for granted. And I'm not going to take this weekend for granted. And I'm not going to take Tuesday for granted. I'm not going to take next Friday for granted because you never know when it's going to be your last one. Pat, I think that's all we got for you on this episode. Thanks again for joining us. This is really great. Yeah. Thanks guys. I appreciate it. Thanks so much. This is Pat McCarthy, voice of the Iron Pigs this past weekend, the voice of the Phillies on NBC Sports Philadelphia. You can follow him on Twitter at Pat McCarthy underscore. Thanks again to Pat and thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 